0: Hello. Welcome to the Revive for the Journey podcast, where we give you this week's message from Cove Church. We pray that it blesses you and helps you grow deeper in your journey with Christ. Enjoy. Well, hello again, Cove Church. So great to be with you today as we continue our series. In fact, have the last installment in our series that we have called Treasure, all about the things that God treasures, hoping that we could treasure those things as well. And today we talk about the treasure of humility. It was 1986 and two large ships collided in the Black Sea of Russia. Hundreds died in that accident there in the icy waters. They, of course, went about an investigation and they found out upon investigating that it wasn't a a technological malfunction that caused this to happen. It wasn't that the radar went down. It wasn't even thick fog that made this accident happen. The cause of the accident was human pride. Each captain was aware of the other ship. Each captain knew they were headed towards each other. And essentially, they engaged in a very high stakes game of chicken. Neither captain willing to give way to the other. And ultimately, everybody lost. They refused humility. That, I believe, is a picture of our world in an increasing way. Whether it be politics or pop culture or religion, it's as though we're becoming more and more divided, two sides being formed, often neither of them willing to listen to one another or move from their place an inch. And it would seem that lives are being lost due to our lack of humility, due to our pride. And pride is interesting because it's not always overt. Pride comes about in different ways. In fact, even something like insecurity is just pride wearing different clothes because in both we're still making it all about us, all about me. C.S. Lewis wrote, Humility is not about thinking less of myself. It's about thinking of myself less. Humility is the love that is expressed in putting another And I think, as we could agree, that's a very uncommon trait in our world. It's interesting, uh, several years ago, there was a guy that won $1.5 billion in a lottery in South Carolina. He would not have pulled that lottery ticket had he not allowed the person in front of him to go first. Can you imagine that in the line? Hey, you go ahead, you go first. And they went and bought it. He comes behind him and wins $1.5 billion. Now, in saying that, I am not guaranteeing you that if you operate in humility, you will win $1.5 billion. And I'm certainly not advocating the lottery as a wise means of growing wealth. But operating in humility changed his life. And the same will happen to us because God treasures humility. If there is one prevailing characteristic about Jesus, it's humility. He embodies it. But humility for us is a strange thing, isn't it? Even to talk about humility is strange because the moment I give examples of it, I don't have it anymore. (laughs) You know, let me tell you this story. One time I was super humble. We just lost it. Humility, it's like underwear. It's really important, but if anybody sees it, then something's wrong. <laughs> or, or you're in downtown Eugene. That's the other reason that could happen. Humility is a unique treasure to God, and it is an essential treasure to God because the whole of Scripture points to the Creator God who humbles himself to his creation, who treasured humility above all. So to finish this series, we're going to look at a passage today that shows us the early church leader, Paul, writing this invitation to a life marked by humility. Because if there is anything that marks the life of Christ, it's that. And here's the first thing I point out. Humility reveals the culture of Christ. Philippians 2 is where we're going to be, starting verse 3, reading verse 3 and 4. In fact, let's read it together right where you are, in your living room, in your office, wherever you're watching this. Read it together. Big voices go. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Paul is showing us that Christ came to establish a different kind of culture, saying do nothing from selfish ambition. That is not our culture because our culture is all selfish. It's always saying I do everything from selfish ambition. All I do is what I want for me. All I'm about is what I want for me. That's our culture's way. And if you want to know if that's really the case, we get to look in our own hearts and see how that's reflected. Think of your response when someone else at your place of work gets employee of the the month. Gee, I probably should have got that. Or what happens when, when another in your workplace is promoted to a position that you were working hard in hopes that you would get that spot? Maybe you're on a team and you realize someone else plays your position better than you do, are you in that moment saying, well, that's really great for my team. My team will be better. Or are you saying, that's kind of bad for me. I probably won't get to play much. And maybe you're praying for just a small little injury for them so that you get a shot at that spot. This is where humility asks us to live completely opposite of culture because our culture is built on selfishness. If you want to be truly counter cultural, follow Jesus, you will be. (laughs) Because Jesus will say to us, put others above yourself. It's saying, I don't look to my interests, I look to yours. I don't look to my accolades, I look to yours. I don't look to my needs, I look To yours, in genuine humility, we're not even in the equation. It's Jesus and others that are. Where I desire the success of others even more than I desire the success of myself. And you have to ask the question, who lives that way? (laughs) Who will do that? Well, here's why we would do that. It's because the corporate ladder of the kingdom goes down, not up. This is how God's kingdom works. Success is not found in how many people I lord over. It's found in how many people I serve under. This is how the kingdom works. Luke 14, Jesus speaks of places of honor at the wedding feast, and he tells the people, don't sit high up on the table in in the best seats. In fact, start out sitting low and have them pull you up, ask you to sit in a better spot instead of sitting high and having them have to tell you, hey, you actually got to sit at a worse seat. And I think the best example of this is there was a woman in Matthew chapter 15. She's a, a foreigner in that culture, not highly respected, not highly esteemed. But she comes to Jesus, he's at a table, and she asks Jesus to heal her daughter. And Jesus responds, at first it sounds kind of mean, but I can almost see him saying this with a wink. You know, it's like he's testing her. He says, well, I, I, I came for the children of Israel. I, I, I can't take their bread and give it to the dogs. <laughs> that sounds kind of mean, right? But her reply is this, I think also with a smile. Yeah, but even the dogs get the scraps from the table. And what does Jesus say about that woman? He says, your faith is great. And her daughter was healed. Why was her faith great? Because her humility was great. She said, I don't even need a seat at the table. I'm just happy to be near the table. I'm just happy to be in the room. Yet in life, we spend so much time scrambling for position. I'll step over you. I'll step around you. I'll step on you to get ahead. And Jesus calls us to the exact opposite. Only those willing to make themselves last will ever be first. Let's see, we hear that and we don't trust that. We don't want to be left out. We don't want to be left alone. It it happens early on in our lives, right? We want to have that friend group. We want to have that place to belong. Uh, In in my high school growing up, there, there were four essential groups in the high school, four different groups. You had jocks, cowboys, preppies, and stoners. Those were the four groups. They were identified by their clothing. You could do it easily. It was Nike, Wrangler, Izod and Ozzy. Those were the clothes. It was a place to belong for every person. And and even I I find in life that even those that, that behave like outsiders, they still want a place where they can feel like an insider. I remember talking to a friend years ago, and, and um, I, at the time he had, had a, a really tall mohawk, painted blue, um, lots of, of piercings, which isn't that unusual now. But back then it was, it was pretty edgy for how long ago this was. And I remember asking him, you know, what is it about this look for you that is important? And he said, oh, I just want to express my individuality. I just want to show the world this is who I am. I don't want to be boxed in. And I thought, that's just so great. And then I remember watching him as, as we left our conversation. He went to be with his friends. And they all had blue mohawks and piercings. And they looked just like him. So much for individuality. I think it was much more about finding a place to belong. We go to a lot of effort to make sure we are not left out, that we're not left behind. But humility says, if you would put Jesus first, if you would put others first, you'll never be last. This is the promise of Christ. But often, we chase all of these other places trying to fit in hoping to get a good seat at the table instead of trusting that if I would place Jesus first in my life, he will then place me where I'm most effective, where I'm made to be. And it's amazing because if I truly put Jesus first, what happens is I start to see people differently. I see them like Jesus sees them. I I don't see people as a threat. I don't see people as a means to some end. I see them as a treasure, Perhaps, yes, a diamond in in the rough, but still a treasure. That I can see God's work in people who do not yet even see God's work in themselves. It's the common grace in humanity. This is the heart that changes in me as I put Jesus first. It allows us to love every person simply because every person is an expression of the Imago Dei, the image of God. This is how people are elevated. I mean, I think of things that you can experience in life, like when I eat a voodoo donut. I don't know if the folks that made that voodoo donut are are in relationship with Jesus or not. I don't know any of that, but man, I can appreciate the artistry. That is a beautiful gift of common grace. It's just good, right? See, here's the truth. Until we truly value the image of God in all people, we will continue to overlook the treasure of all people. We'll miss it. That, and, and we'll end up in so many subtle ways saying, you know, you're not enough for us. You're not enough for me. You're, you're so far from, from my level of goodness. And it doesn't mean that we don't have something to say to a broken world. No, we have much to say about, about what a best life can look like. But here's the truth. The things of God that I say to others are far better heard when partnered with the things of God that I see in others. When I can say, I see this in you and it's beautiful, it's a different foundation because it's a foundation of humility. I'm coming under another person to lift them up. And that changes culture because it reveals the culture of Christ. It's the first thing, here's the second. Humility reveals the character of Christ. Philippians 2. Let's continue the passage. Big voices go. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. The author is saying, I want you to think like Jesus thinks. I want you to choose what Jesus chooses. And he tells us Jesus emptied himself, why? In obedience, to make room for God's purpose and God's plan. Humility leads to a choice that reflects our character, reflects who we are, a choice to be empty, a choice to not seek equality, a choice to posture myself as one who needs to be found. I was talking with a friend recently. Uh, I was talking about Jesus and and what we kind of ultimately came to, we were talking about how Jesus said, it's, it's not the healthy who need the doctor, but it's the sick and it's, it's not the, the, the strong people, but it's our weakness that makes us strong. And so what we determined that we can do in this life, is we determined I can be sick and I can be weak I mean, here's really what I can do. This is what I offer to the world. I can be sick and I can be weak. And in those places, Jesus can meet me. That's this posture of humility, to not grasp and claw, not try to show the world what I can do, but to stop and be found so that Jesus can show us what Jesus can do. Yet our world, it wants to grasp and claw, doesn't it? Do whatever it takes to get ahead, to make sure people see you and know you and elevate you. So the question becomes, am I serving people because I love God, or am I using people because I love me? And if I'm using people, then I need a heart renovation. Here's the test. Am I constantly willing to choose the worst seat? and trust God can change that if he wants, or he can keep me in that seat in order to bring something to my life. Because that involves faith, doesn't it? That, that's the question we have to answer because the other side of it is, to, is that my real goal might become that I'm going to fight for the best seat every time. And, and that requires no faith because that action says, I'm on my own. So I better fight for the best seat. But faith says I can choose the worst seat and trust God to bring about his best. So if there is something we should be fighting over, it should be fighting over who gets the worst seat. Fighting over who gets the last place in line, fighting over who gets to clean the toilets. That's what we should be fighting over. If you really want to see where you land on the humility scale, you don't have to look very much farther than your own living room and a tiny wand of power known as the remote control. (laughs) Am I willing to sit and to watch that YouTuber talking about finding your fashion ideal (laughs) when I'd rather watch fly fishing in New Zealand? Am I willing to let go? These are the tests. They are small, but they all point to the same truth, to the the same place, and it's this. Humility tangibly expresses our understanding of grace. When I walk in it, it shows that I understand grace, because if I know that I have been given so much in grace, then it's nothing for me to defer to you in humility. I've already been given everything. I realize that I'm not here because of what I did, but I'm here because of what Jesus has done. Uh, This happens to me as a communicator. Sometimes uh, people will say, come and they'll be talking about after a message or something. They'll say, man, you know, when you said this, it really affected me, really, really had a great impact on me. And I'll be like, thanks. And as they walk away, I'll think about it and I'll realize I never said that. (laughs) but they heard that. Why? Because God was speaking to them, right? I didn't say it, but God said it. When I know that that happens, and that happens fairly regularly, when that happens, it messes with any part of us that wants to be arrogant because you realize that among the most significant things about expressing your calling is the stuff you don't even do. (laughs) It's the stuff you cannot ever possibly take credit for. And that, friends, is the kingdom life. I just point. Oh, there's God. We just point. There's God. There's Jesus. He's right there. Look look what God's doing. It's like a whale watcher. You know, you go on one of these whale watching adventures. No one goes out whale watching and they go to the captain and go, wow, that was so great when you made that whale jump out of the water right at the moment that we were going by it. That was so great that you made that whale do that. No one does that. No, what does the whale watcher do? The captain? All they do is point. There's a whale. Whale did it. There's a whale. That is kingdom life. There's God. Look, look over there. There's God. <laughs> this is why arrogance has no place in the Christ follower's life. We don't do any of the stuff that matters. Only Jesus does. I mean, I mean, he, he uses us in our life and, and our obedience moves and, 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 and gives him a vehicle. But ultimately the heart change, the, the, the eternal stuff, it's all done by God. So we don't, we don't have any room for arrogance. I love what Samuel Morse, the inventor of the telegraph, said after he was receiving all these honors for that invention. This is what he said. He said, I have made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. We don't win because we're winners We win because Jesus won for us. So the only proper response is a heart of humility. This is the character of Christ. It is to make myself less. And as we walk in this character trait, we begin to see something happen. It's James 4.10. Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If we do this, if we live like this, God can lift us. We can either choose to humble ourselves through the wisdom of God, or God can humble us through consequences. That's the choice we have in front of us. We can humble ourselves using God's wisdom, or God can humble us using consequences. And I would just say it's probably better for us to humble ourselves. That's the wisdom that would be great. Reminds me of a story. There was a small boy. It was bedtime, so he was sent to bed by his father. And uh, five minutes later, after he was in bed, you hear him call out from down the hall, Dad! What, son? I'm thirsty. Can you bring me a glass of water? Dad says, no, son, you've had your chance. Uh, it's lights out. It's time for sleep. Five minutes later, dad, what? I'm thirsty, could could, could I please, please just have one glass of water? No, son, you can't, it's bedtime. And if you ask again, I'm gonna have to go in there and, and give you a spanking. Five minutes later, dad, what? Dad, when you come in to give me a spanking, could you bring a glass of water? (laughs) Same end, much more painful route. Wisdom is to choose humility rather than having humility chosen for us. Don't wait for God to do it. Humble yourself because humility reveals the character of Christ. That's the second thing. Here's the last thing. Humility reveals the calling of Christ. Philippians 2, let's finish the passage. Go. Therefore God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Ultimately, the humility of Jesus allowed him to approach the pain of the cross with hope. And Jesus calls each of us to the same. We're told it was for the joy set before Christ that Christ endured the cross. What was the joy? What was that joy in front of him? It was all of us. It was all of us being made whole, and that hope allowed Jesus to endure the cross. And and it's that same hope that can allow us to endure the pain of this life. That's the hope we're called to. And because Jesus walked in great hope, the result was that Jesus experienced a great reward. We're told he was exalted, given the name that is above all names. Because of Christ's great humility, God was able to meet him with the greatest exaltation. Now, that was Christ's reward. Only Jesus will walk in that reward. But the principle for us is this. The farther down we go, the higher God can raise us. That's the principle. Because if I think... I'm the only one fighting for me. I'm never gonna choose humility. But if I know that the Lord of hosts goes before me, I can lay my life down, knowing that in God's time and in God's way, I will be lifted up. James 4.10, humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. Humility is not a personality trait, it's a kingdom trait. So those who treasure the kingdom, treasure it. I remember when the kids were younger, there was that season when trust falls were a big thing. And so we would be walking anywhere, in the house, out in a parking lot, you know, down the street, and one of the kids immediately would just say, trust fall, and they'd immediately just, just start to fall. And we'd be like, ah, right. we'd be running and we'd catch them. And it always happened that we'd be close enough finally to catch them, but they, they wouldn't even give, give us any warning. Just trust fall, oh, this is happening. And they were able to do that because they knew that when they fell, that we'd be there to catch them. This is the relational dynamic of humility. Where I say, God, I'm choosing to trust your ability to raise me above my ability to raise myself. Humility is not just about making myself less, it's about allowing God to be more in my life. And this is what God calls us to, to walk in the hope that God's ways are higher. If that's gonna happen, I must make my ways lower. It's that heart of humility that reveals the hope of Christ. I'll close with this sweet story. It's a favorite of mine. There's a little girl, and and she um, saw in a, a dime store this, this fake pearl necklace. And uh, she just thought that was amazing. So she did a bunch of chores around the house uh, to allow her to save up enough money that she could buy this fake pearl necklace. So she did so and she put on the pearls and she wore them every day, all the time. Never took them off, wore them in the shower, wore them in the pool, never took them off to the point where it started to discolor her neck because it, they were fake. So it was starting to make turn her neck green and it wasn't really a good thing. And, and her parents knew that and they're trying to figure out how to, how to help her with this. So what what happened is her, her dad would come at bedtime and tuck her into bed and he began to have an exchange with her that went something like this, she would say, or he would say, sweetie, do you love me? And she'd say, yes, Dad, I, I, I love you so much. He'd say, well, you should give me your pearls. <clears throat> and she'd say, Dad, I, I love you, but I can't give you my pearls. You can have my baby doll if you want that, but I can't give you my pearls. And he'd say, oh, that's, that's fine. You don't have to do that. I love you. Good night. The next night, same thing. Sweetie, do, do you love me? Oh, yes, Dad, I love you. Well, you should give me your pearls. Oh, no, Dad, I can't give you my my pearls. I could give you my princess doll. You could have that. Oh, no, sweetie, you don't have have to give me your princess doll. It's fine. Good night. I love you. Next night, same thing. Sweetie, do you love me? Oh, yes, Dad, I love you so much. Well, you should give me your pearls. Oh, no, Dad, I, I can't give you my pearls. No, no, I can't do that. I can give you my white horse figurine if you want that, but I, I can't give you my pearls. He said, no, that's, that's fine. I love you. Good night. Several days later, after this happening every night, the father came into the room. It was different that night. Saw his daughter there, and she was just seated on the bed, and her, her lip was quivering, you could tell, and, and you could see one tear just pouring down her cheek. And knowing the question that she was going to ask her, that he was going to ask her, without a word, this little girl, she just lifted her hand, eyes closed, opened her hand to reveal that tiny little fake pearl necklace. And in that moment, and in almost one motion, The father reached out with one hand to take the dime store pearls and reached into his pocket and pulled out a blue velvet case that contained a strand of genuine pearls that he could replace into her hand, giving that gift to his daughter. He had them all the time. He was just waiting for her to let go in order to make room for something better. Are you tired in your life of grasping and clawing for so many different things? Whether it's fear that motivates that, or pride or insecurity, it's this seeking for yourself because you're so afraid of what might happen if you stop looking out for you. Could it be that because of that many of us are missing the best gifts of all. Humility is not gauged by what we are able to grasp, but by what we are willing to let go. So what do you need to let go of today? For it's in that letting go of self that we see our hearts transformed. And in that transformed heart, we can actually change our world. God treasures humility. And as we walk in that treasure, we can discover the culture and the character and the hope of Christ. If we follow Jesus, we will follow Him into humility. And it's in that laying down of our lives that we'll finally be able to experience what it's like when Jesus lifts us. Thanks for joining us. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. To stay connected with all things Cove Church, visit our website, covechurchpnw.com or on all social media platforms at covechurchpnw. We'll see you next time.